us uh, introduce the topic each Sunday, and today we're kind of talking about the real Santa Claus. And by the way, if you're live streaming with us this morning and you're watching with children, let me give you a spoiler alert. If you have not yet had the talk with your children about Santa Claus, or if your parents haven't had it with you, we may do a little myth-busting today, so forewarned is forearmed. The modern-day American concept of Santa is a mosaic from many different countries, traditions, and beliefs. Some suggest he has roots in a 4th century Catholic bishop named St. Nicholas, who supposedly performed miracles and gave gifts to young children. However, the existence of St. Nicholas is not attested by any historical document. In 1969, the Pope ordered the Feast of St. Nicholas dropped from the official Catholic calendar because of doubts that he ever existed. Santa, as we know him, began to take shape in the early 1800s with the publication of a poem. What poem might that be? "'Twas the Night Before Christmas by Clement Moore, and then drawings of cartoonist Thomas Nast in 1863 for Harper's Weekly, which was inspired by that poem. But what we want to do, we want to, um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to Think a little bit about Santa Claus and some of the characteristics that are ascribed to Santa, which are actually attributes of God. So we'll look at three of the characteristics ascribed to Santa, but they're actually attributes of God, and we'll just reflect a little bit about God. It's always good to do that. Thinking about God and reflecting on the attributes of God inspires our worship right, and our love for God because His attributes are so winsome. Now, the first one is, now, there's a song that goes, better watch out, better, better not cry. Santa Claus, he sees you when you're sleeping, which is a little bit creepy. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. All right, so that attribute of Santa where he knows, he seems to know everything. When we talk about God, you know, theologically speaking, when theologians, and I know some of you have studied some theology, when we're talking about that aspect of God, that God knows everything, what's the word? What, is, what do we call that? Yes, omniscience, omniscience. So the first quality that's ascribed to Santa, but it's really an attribute of God, is omniscience. Omni means all, science means knowledge. The idea that God has all knowledge, and he really does have all knowledge. Let's get some of the biblical data before us. 1 Samuel 2.3, the Lord is a God of knowledge. Psalm 139.2, you know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Hebrews 4.13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And finally, Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So God really does have all knowledge. And one of the ways this impacts us on a very personal basis is when it comes to our prayers. Now, it's one of the things we tend to take for granted, especially those of us who grew up going to church. You know, we just have assumed the omniscience of God for most of our lives, this quality of God. We're praying to Him, and He is hearing us as individuals at the same time He's hearing everyone else. I mean, have you done any research lately on how many people inhabit planet earth if you were to google that right now you would find it somewhere between seven and a half and eight billion people and a good percentage of those are believers in god 
And at any given time, when I'm praying to God, there are billions of other people praying to God at the same time. And yet God hears my prayers as an individual and responds to them in an individual and a personal way while he's hearing your prayers and responding to you individually. Now, I can't, I can't listen to two people talk at the same time effectively, but God hears all of those and he responds and he gives answers that are appropriate to me and to you, even when one person's praying for rain and the other person is praying for sunshine. Somehow God manages to give us, all of us, what we need. And if you think about it, at the same time, he is interweaving the answers to everyone's prayers with everyone else while maintaining his sovereignty and ultimately accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in this world. We don't even necessarily verbalize our prayers, do we? We pray silent prayers, just assuming that God in his omniscience is able to perceive our thoughts without us even have, having to articulate them, the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God makes possible predictive prophecy. Now that, that bears on the Christmas story. It's because of God's omniscience. Isaiah 46.10, God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. This aspect of God, this attribute of God, enabled him to inspire Micah, for instance, in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, to predict where the Messiah was going to be born. In what town? Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before that took place. It's the omniscience of God that inspired Isaiah to prophesy, to predict that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, a virgin birth. We'll be talking about that more next Sunday. Again, hundreds of years before that took place. There's even a time prophecy in Daniel where Daniel the prophet predicts the approximate date or time when the Messiah was to be born. And this helps us to understand, to prove, to demonstrate that Jesus of Nazareth was the long-awaited Messiah. God makes it look easy, but it's not easy. When I was a kid growing up at our home church, we had a New Year's Eve service every year. So we get together on December 31st and we play board games right up until midnight. And at some point in that evening, the, the preacher would hand out uh, sheets of paper and we'd all make predictions, our predictions for the upcoming year. So we'd predict uh, who we thought was going to get married. We'd predict who might win the Super Bowl. We'd predict if it was an election year, who's, who's going to win the election. We'd make predictions in all different categories, fold them up, seal them, and they would be stored at the church for the year. And then after we'd done that, they'd bring out the envelopes with the predictions from the previous year. And we'd open them up if we happened to have been there, that service the previous year, and we'd see how lousy we all were at making predictions. It's, it's not that easy. I went back and I researched uh, last week. I pulled up an article called Predictions for 2020 from LA's Most Popular Psychics. So this article was written January 4th of this year. And they had six psychics, very popular psychics in L.A., who predicted things for 2020. Now, just two takeaways from that article, if you were to look it up. Number one, believe it or not, all six psychics predicted that Donald Trump would be reelected this year. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. That's what they predicted. And second takeaway, none of the psychics predicted 
what was maybe the biggest story of the year, if not the decade, maybe even the century, which was what? Coronavirus. None of them predicted the coronavirus. Because why? Because they're psychics. And this business is not as easy, a prediction is not as easy as God makes it look. Because God really does have omniscience, all knowledge. By the way, if I had more time and this was the only thing I were talking about this morning, I would zero in on the fact that God and His omniscience knows you and me very intimately. This is really called the imminence of God. Omniscience focuses on the omni and the all knowledge, but the imminence of God focuses more on the knowledge itself and how intimate His knowledge is <clears throat> for each and every one of us. He knows us and He gets it. He gets us. Our God does. Okay, so what are we doing? We're just looking at some of the characteristics commonly attributed to Santa, and uh, we're reflecting on how those are really characteristics of God. Omniscience is number one. All right, here's the second one. I'll describe it to you. That Santa is everywhere. Santa's everywhere. He's in the North Pole. He's over at the mall. I saw him out behind, at Publix the other night. He might be here on Christmas Eve. And uh, on Christmas Eve, he visits the home of every child, right? That's a characteristic of Santa that he's, he's everywhere. What do we call that attribute of God, that God is everywhere? Yes, omnipresence. Dave, you're on a roll. Were you here in the first service? Okay. Omnipresence. Omni means all. Presence means presence. The omnipresence of God. He really is everywhere. Psalmist writes, Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the weeks in the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God is everywhere and everywhere with us. God is, His presence is with us. And that's a very comforting attribute of God, that He is with us. You may have heard the name Corey Ten Boom. She was an author. She is a survivor of Nazi concentration camps. She was in the camps with her sister Betsy. Betsy died in the camps, but Corey survived. But she quotes her sister Betsy as saying, in the camp, a concentration camp, Betsy said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. It's a comforting presence of God. You ever had a bad dream, a nightmare, and you wake up, and it's terrifying for whatever reason, the way dreams are, and if there's someone else in the room, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't even have to be a big, strong person, just their presence is comforting. The presence of God is comforting to us. There was a little boy who was afraid of the dark, and one evening his mom said, I want you to go on the back porch there and, and bring me the broom. He said, I don't want to, it's dark out there. She said, Junior, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. There's nothing to be afraid of. He says, I know, but I'm still, I don't want to go out there. It's dark. She said, Jesus is always, with Jesus is out there on the porch. He said, okay, open the door. He called out, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please hand me the broom? <laughs> so we don't want Jesus just to hand us the broom. We want, you know, someone with skin on, we want him to actually be there. Now, John Wisdom is a skeptic of, of God. He's an atheist. And he used this parable really to some effect to disprove believers. And it's the parable of the invisible gardener. He says, there's two men walking along. And they come upon a garden, and it's kind of overgrown with weeds, but there's still some healthy plants. There's some tomato plants and whatnot. So the believer said, there must be a gardener who's tending this garden. And the skeptic said, no, there's no gardener. This just happened by accident. And they said, all right, well, let's, let's set up a little campsite here, and we'll watch and wait and see the gardener come. So they set up a campsite, and they watched for several nights, and they never saw any gardener come. 
And uh, the believer said, well, he, he must be an invisible gardener. And the skeptic said, well, okay, well, let's set up a fence. Uh, he can't get through the fence, you know, even if he's invisible. And they set up the fence, and they watch for a few more nights, and, and uh, nothing happened. And, and so the skeptic said, see, no gardener. And the believer said, well, he's intangible. So the skeptic says, all right, well, he's probably got a smell. So we, they got the bloodhounds out. And they watched a few more nights, and the, 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 the dogs never smelled anything. And so the skeptic said, see, no gardener. And the believer said, well, he's got no smell. And the skeptic said, well, wait a minute. What's the difference between an invisible, intangible gardener with no smell and no gardener at all? So you see the criticism the skeptic is making to believers, kind of an effective argument except for one thing. Really, except for more than one thing, but the one thing we'll, I'll point out this morning. Because we do worship an invisible, intangible God, but there's one thing, and that's Christmas. Because at Christmas, the invisible God became visible, and the, in, the intangible God became tangible and even smellable when God the Son was born. Matthew 1.23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God came near and was with us. And we have the testimony of those who saw him. What a blessing it must have been to be one of those disciples and, and get to see the visible, physical, tangible Jesus. I mean, we don't get that. He's still invisible to us. We'll see him eventually, but we worship him by faith. But we do have one tangible expression of the body of Christ. But what is the body of Christ today? It's the church, right? The church. We're the arms and the legs, as we often say, the body of Christ. Uh, another skeptic was challenging Mother Teresa one time, and he said, he said to her, where is your God when a child is dying in the streets of Calcutta? And Mother Teresa said, well, I'll tell you where he is. He's right there suffering with that child. She said, the real question is, where are you? Where are you? And that's a challenge for us this morning as we think of ourselves, the church, the body of Christ. To whom are we being the hands and the arms of Jesus? I was talking with a woman in the hospital two days ago, and we were visiting, and she said, I so miss going to church. She said, Steve, you know what I miss most about going to church? And I thought she was going to say the sermon, but she didn't say that. She said, I miss the hugs. I miss the, the handshakes. I miss the interaction. I just miss engaging with people. That's because that's part of what church is designed to be, a physical manifestation of the body of Christ. So, reflecting on these uh, characteristics of Santa that are really attributes of God, we're thinking about omniscience, we're thinking about omnipresence, and then a third and final one, of course, is benevolence. Benevolence. Santa's benevolent. He gives gifts to all the little children on Christmas. I mean, he visits every home on Christmas Eve, which, when you think about the laws of physics, that's a little bit challenging. Assuming that each child has nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, about two pounds, the sleigh is carrying 500,000 tons. Now, 500,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second, which is the speed necessary to reach every home in the world, creates some air resistance. 
This would heat up the reindeer in the same fashion as the space shuttle re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer, which I assume is Rudolph and maybe Dancer, would absorb 14 quintillion, quintillion joules of energy per second. In short, they would burst into flames almost instantaneously, exposing the reindeer behind them and creating definite, deafening sonic booms in their wake. The entire reindeer team would be vaporized within four thousandths of a second. Not that it matters, however, since Santa, as a result of accelerating from a dead stop to 650 miles per second in a fraction of a second, would be subjected to centrifugal forces of 17,500 Gs. A 250-pound Santa, and that's being generous, would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by 4 million pounds of force, instantly crushing his bones and organs and reducing him to a quivering blob of pink goo. Therefore, if Santa did exist, he's dead now. Now. <laughs> mommy, mommy, the preacher said Santa's dead. You know, it's not a good look. Not a good look. <clears throat> Santa's benevolent. God really is benevolent. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul just says, what do you have that you did not receive? Everything we have is a gift. We woke up this morning and we're alive, and most of us did and are then that's a gift from God. We got lungs that are filtering air and hearts that are pumping blood, right? And we have ears that hear and eyes that see and noses that smell and taste buds that taste. If your nose doesn't smell and your taste buds don't taste, you may want to go get tested. You know, there's a half a dozen blessings. We haven't even left the human body. I went and saw an exhibit called Bodies a few years ago. It was over here in Tampa. It travels around. Some of you may have seen this. It's absolutely incredible. They take about 20 corpses that they have preserved with polymers, and they've got them displayed, usually in different rooms, the way I saw it, and each, each display of bodies was highlighting a different system. Our bodies are, you know, several systems, so you got a room over here that shows the muscular system, you know, one, another one that shows the skeletal system, then other bodies that highlighted the nervous system, the digestive system, the reproductive system system, all these different systems, and i listening to people's reactions. They're having the same ones that I had. That's amazing. It's incredible. That's fantastic. Just blown away by God's beautiful gift to us, our body. Well, Steve, I didn't get the body that I wanted. None of us got the body we wanted, but we will get to trade it in on a new model before too long. But God gives us gifts, and every morning should feel like Christmas morning when we wake up as we have so many. And I know it doesn't. We just tend to take these things for granted after a while, but it should because we have these blessed gifts from God. I want to show you one more last clip uh, from, what was the name of this movie? Right? A Christmas Story. I'll show you one last clip here, and then I'll make a point uh, as we wrap up. Let's roll that clip. As much on the father as it is on the child because of his joy in giving. And that is illustrative of the posture of our Father God he, that's his posture towards us. He doesn't want to judge us and he doesn't want to condemn us. He loves us and he loves to give us gifts as much as any father or mother has drawn joy from giving their children gifts. And you know, throughout the movie, little Ralphie was dropping these hints about what he wanted for Christmas and he thought no one was listening. 
No one was paying attention. The dad was disengaged. The dad was distracted. The dad was angry. But all along, the dad was paying attention. He was listening. He heard, and he came through on Christmas morning. And sometimes we think, is God listening? Does he hear me? Does he care? And the Bible says that he does. And on Christmas morning, God came through for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for being an omniscient God. You know everything. And just as important, you, you know us, and you know us intimately. And we thank you for being always present everywhere and present with us, even in the darkest pits that we go to. There's no pit so deep that you are not there. And we thank you, God, for your benevolence. We don't want to be a people who take it for granted. We know that we wake up every morning alive and full of your spirit with so many of your gifts surrounding us. Oh, that we could recapture the excitement of that Christmas morning feel. But we revisit it today as we think of you and reflect on you and grow in our love for you and our worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.